I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 285. Because apparently I said the wrong episode for the last one because, well, I'm a schmuck. (laughs) I'm just so glad it's been your problem. Not your problem. Your fault. Okay, you could just say error. (laughs) It's your fault. (laughs) Well, you know who loves us in spite of our falls? Patreoners! You always do that, and then I'm like, is she giving me the Patreoners? Well, I, it's just a, um, what's it called? Uh, dramatic pause. Okay. So, thank you so much, Emily B. from California. Rachel T. from Illinois. Ayla P. from North Carolina. Lauren C. from West Virginia. Tony M. from Kansas. And Krista S. from Ohio. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an episode shout out, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Now, speaking of states. So if y'all don't know, we just got back from Austin from the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival. We had a great time. We'll tell y'all about it in a minute. But Morgan, one of our moderators in the Facebook group, had the genius idea to bring name tags. You know, it helps, you know, knowing who each other is. Are. Anyway. Well, they had the bright idea of putting the state that you came from on the name tag. So people had their fucking state abbreviations on there. And I was like, where the fuck are you from? Oh, that's hilarious. I didn't even notice. I legitimately, I cannot remember what state it was. But I was like, this is that, right? Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> like, there are things that I'm good at. And state abbreviations ain't one of them. Oh, we know. We know. God, I wish I could remember what state it was that I, re- I really was like, where the fuck are they from? What state is that? Was it New Mexico? No, I know New Mexico. I don't know. Anyway, I didn't know it. And I was like, well, this sucks. I'm terrible. But we had such a good time in Austin. It was hot. Hot. Hot with multiple T's. It wasn't as humid as it is here, though. No. And my nose bled after I got home. And it's just been messed up. I don't know what the heat did to me, but it it fucked me, okay? And there was a little bit of a cold snap here. And by that, I mean it was 90 and not 190. So, like, it made it feel so much hotter there because we came back to, like, 90, 95. Yeah. But, yeah, it was way dry. But we're not the Weather Channel. We had a really great time. So many of y'all came. I mean, like, y'all are so amazing that y'all travel so far to come see us because I don't know why. So, I came from freaking Canada. Was that, I was about to say, wait, was it Canada that you didn't know? No, I would have known Canada. Oh, my God. Well, fuck, I don't know. We did a meetup that Friday night at a bar where we just were able to kind of hang out, chat, do all the things. And then Saturday night, we had a ghost tour at Pioneer Farms. That was so much fun. I mean, it was hot, but it was so much fun. They disguised exercise as an investigation. (laughs) I was not prepared for it. And then my best friend, Carrie, and her husband, who is my husband, basically, (laughs) they waited and they didn't say, hey, big girl, you want to wait back here because I know you're struggling. And I walked all the way around the loop with the other people. And then when we get back to the truck, they're talking about that they were waiting by this house. I was like, wait. Y'all didn't tell me y'all were hanging back? Like, I didn't know we were going in a giant loop. And let me tell you, my battery was drained at the end of that. Well, and honestly, Colby was like, I'm going to stay here. They're just going to loop. I kept like shining my flashlight going, I don't think that's a loop. I don't, I think we're going to get left. Like I was stressing. He was right, of course. Anything geographic, he understands. I don't. 
Oh, also at Starbar, the air was kicking. So I was not sweating. Yeah, we literally stood under the air conditioner vent. Yeah. Oh, and uh, hello, we had our first live show. It was meh. It, it was good. It wasn't my best work. I was actually more nervous than I thought I would be because, look, you put me in a room with 300 people I don't fucking know, I'm good. You put me in a room where I know 80% of the people in there, I'm fucking nervous as shit. We are the exact opposite. Yeah, I was very nervous. And like, what <laughs> time? Because we had pictures behind us and uh, my back boob was bouncing the projector. And so, you know, Donna stopped me to be like, hey, ma'am, you're, you're bouncing the projector. Well, because out of the corner of my eye, because, you know, if you ever have seen our lives, I listen intently to Carrie's story. And I was like, I see something. Don't look. Don't look. Wait, I have to look. And then I was like, oh, Carrie, you're moving the whole monitor. Yeah, it was literally my back boob bouncing. (laughs) Well, and Colby was like, my husband Colby was like, well, I saw it, but I didn't want to get your attention. And then you say something to me and everybody look at me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's so Colby. That is so him. Bingo went bongo. It was, um, I'll never custom make a thing again. We had nobody, nobody, nobody. One, like one person won. We had five prizes. Nobody, 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 nobody. 17 people bingoed. Literally at one point, I was like, what fucking letters do y'all need? Because we were drawing the letter and then the phrase. And so I was like, you know what? Let's just say some fucking letters here. What letters y'all need? Yeah, it was a mess. But, you know, like when things go bad, it's funny and it makes it fine. Create your own bingo cards, they said. (laughs) Don't use a generator, they said. (laughs) Also, um, you know how Carrie talks in her sleep? Apparently, I really talk in my sleep sometimes. And Tiffany was my roommate. Well, Tiffany would wake up every time that I said something. One time I was dreaming that Carrie was in a cult. And I was like, Carrie? Because I thought I had lost her forever. And I hear a voice from the other bed. And she said, you mean Tiffany? And like, I was out of sleep then. And I was like, no, I meant Carrie. I'm dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, the next night... I said something about a urologist and I hear again the voice from the other bed go, urologist? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm dreaming. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I will have you know that Marley, very excited to see me, but I had a surprise of my own. That night, I was like, oh, I'm going to be in my own bed, do my own thing, brushing my teeth. And an R word came out in the bathroom. And I was like, going back to Texas, fuck this place. Well, it's just because you hadn't been around. You hadn't been home. Like you hadn't been stirring around. So I know. What's this place? I could, this place is nice. I know. And it was raining. Mm -hmm. So I was like, motherfucker. So I had to kill the R word. And I was like, okay, just take me back to the heat. (laughs) Like I can't be here anymore. I know we came back to like a relatively kind of cold snap and rain. I was like, our grass is like, thank you. Yeah. Also, we learned that Tiffany, when she has to pee, she has to pee. We took a detour through Houston so I could show like Colby where I used to live, where I worked. Apparently, Tiffany had never seen either where I worked. So we just took that little detour and um, Tiffany had to pee and I didn't realize how bad she had to pee. And y'all know when you're in like city, city, there's not a lot of 
like gas stations to stop at. So she almost didn't make it. And if you know Houston, you know the roads are bumpy. And the sounds coming out of Tiffany's <laughs> fucking mouth. One time she sounded like an elephant. No <laughs> lie. Like, that is not me exaggerating. It was like, woo! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh my God. I, and she was like, don't make me laugh. And I was like, you're making me laugh. Like, oh, that girl is so freaking funny. We had a good time, made some connections with some other podcasters that will be up and coming um, maybe in October for Halloween, maybe some collabs. Mm-hmm. So that was really good. So we'll keep you all up to date on what the happenings will be next year. So, of course, coming back to reality, I literally was like, oh, I don't want to go back. But the other day after work, and by the other day, I mean yesterday after work, Colby and I watched a movie that was actually pretty new. I didn't realize it was so new, but it's called Nobody. Have you seen it or heard of it? I don't think so. Yes. Finally, one. Okay. So, it has um, Bob Odenkirk, who was uh, Saul, like Better Call Saul. Oh, okay. And Breaking Bad and all that. And he's like this total badass, and it's really good. It's, it was on Prime, and I think there's some like Freebo or whatever when, places you can watch it. She's giving me a face. Is that not what it's called? Freebie? Oh, maybe that. Furbo? Something? But no, Furbo's not- the, the camera with the things. Oh. <laughs> Freebie. Yeah, that's it. Wow. <laughs> we combined seven things at once. <laughs> but it was really good. Y'all need to watch it. It's kind of like Taken, but not really. It's kind of like okay, displaced. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like Taken meets that movie with um Denzel Washington where the people around him don't know he's a badass. Equalizer. That one. Kind of in those those veins. Okay, well that's definitely my kind of thing like vengeance, yeah. killing and yeah. stuff. Oh, love it. I mean not in real life but like the movies. John Wick, yes, please. And it has Christopher Lloyd. And do you know how long it took me to remember his fucking name? I was like, Lloyd, Floyd, Floyd, Lloyd. Like the whole fucking thing. <laughs> so finally, I just Googled it. And I was like, oh, Christopher Lloyd. Okay. So it's kind of on par. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we've just been working and resting since we got home. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. I need a vacation from that. Like, I don't know how you went back to work the next day because I was so tired. My legs were tired. My feet were tired. Girl, I had to go back to work the next day fucking running. <laughs> you miss you miss days like that. You got a lot to catch up on. Yeah. That's the only thing going back to work because I missed a week and then I start work like on a Wednesday mm-hmm. with my part-time job. And so I've had basically two weeks that I've been out and I was like, what happened? Like, what's going on? Tell me everything. You know, yeah. I had to get caught up. Seriously, on like a full week of stuff. Yeah. And that gives me anxiety because I feel like I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. <sighs> before we left, y'all, y'all are probably like, I'm so tired of hearing all this stuff. But before we left, I cut my hair. Oh, yeah. I was like, before we left Austin, yeah, we went to Voodoo Donuts. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Before we left for Austin, I'm talking, I chopped like seven inches of my hair off and it has been glorious. Okay, I maybe haven't washed it in like four days, but <laughs> that's all. That's my use. But like, oh my god, no tangles. That's awesome. It looks really good. Well, yeah, it's all me. Oh lord, <laughs> just kidding. All right, before we get into our stories, we gotta talk about Babel. If you're anything like me, and you know, one in five Americans learning a new language is on your bucket list. 
And if you're anything like me, you love to check things off a list. So that's where Babel comes in. With Babel, you can start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Of course, the best way to learn a language is through immersion. But like, who can afford that? And also, who can afford freaking tutors that are going to cost you out the wazoo? But with Babbel, it's affordable. And like Donna said, you can start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel has quick 10-minute sessions that are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language ASAP. And the best thing is Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations. And how they approach learning a new language, it's all about accessibility, and it's rooted in real-life situations, and it's delivered with conversational-based teaching. The app is super user-friendly, and I really like that when you first start your language learning journey, that it really does start with real-life things. It's like, hey, how are you? My name is, and it's not like, because, you know, I'm trying Spanish, and it's not like biblioteca. Right. Like, what the fuck I need that for? I need to say, can I have a cerveza? I need conversational things. Where's the bathroom? Not, can I go to your library? I need a glass of milk. I don't need that. (laughs) I need conversational things that's going to get me going, you know, when I want to use language. Also, something else I like about Babbel is that if you haven't opened the app in a little bit, it'll email you and be like, are you on task with your lesson? And I'm like, you know what? Life's been hard for a second. I'm not, but I like, thank you for that reminder. And then I'm going to start it back. And with over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is where it's at. Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. And so there was just studies that came out from like Yale, Michigan State University, and you know, some others. And they proved that Babbel is legit. For instance, they found that 15 hours of using Babbel is equivalent to a full college semester learning a language. Here's a special. For a limited time, everybody listen to this podcast, you're going to be able to get started right now with 55% off your Babbel subscription. So you're going to go to babbel.com slash creep. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep to get 55% off. And there's so many different ways to learn. You can do games, apps, all the things. So don't miss out on this limited time deal for 55% off your subscription. Like Donna said, go to babble.com slash creep. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, so for my story today, we are going to talk about Allie Costell. I did hear it pronounced Castile, but I really think it's Costell because this was an episode of 48 Hours and that's how they pronounced it. So I feel like the family would be like, this is how you pronounce our name, you know. Allie was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And she wanted to go to a university that was like thriving and had a football team, all the things. Like she wanted to do the sorority thing. So where do you end up? The South. Allie started attending the University of Mississippi, also known as Ole Miss. So about five hours away from us. Yeah, yeah. Allie was studying marketing at Ole Miss, and she wanted to eventually one day work in the fashion industry. They said on the 48 hours that she really like wanted to go to school, meet a Southern boy, fall in love, get married, and have the kids. Like she was really into like the Southern culture and like that's what she wanted for herself. Yeah. Allie loved the traditions that 
are known at Ole Miss, like with the football, the sororities. I mean, if you're on TikTok, you know you just saw sorority talk with all the people. What? What? It's rush talk. Oh. (laughs) Same thing. Sorority talk. They rush talk. And (laughs) they doing all the dances and all that. Well, Allie was for sure into that. And I also will see the dorm talk. And I'm like, thank God we don't go to school now because we could not afford to have a good... Talk? No. Uh-uh. I mean, not that we had a great dorm, we but... We had a kick-ass dorm. Not a... <laughs> we had Walmart bedspreads. Yep. <laughs> I don't even know where that rug came from. Probably Walmart. And then we had a futon because we bunked our beds so yes. that we could have a futon. Also from Walmart. And we strung up little colored lantern lights that I'm pretty sure you broke the bank and went to Pier 1 for. I did, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and those were a bitch to hang up because oh uh, you weren't allowed to put like tapes and stuff, which we did. But like, those were so hard to hang up. Mm-hmm. We had a kick-ass early 2000s room. Pink and orange everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I still love those colors. Meanwhile, now they have like the little refrigerators for their fucking skincare, and we couldn't even keep ours stocked with Dr. Pepper. Right? Seriously, I love Dom. Well, I love Dom talk too, but I love dorm talk. But my God, I'm like, how much did they spend on this? I don't know. This is why we can't have kids. But Allie was really in it. She was even one of the founding members of the sorority Alpha Phi. And she did all the things in addition to school. Like she did the sorority. She was over this golf club and she taught yoga and Pilates. Good. Good night. How did she have time to even go to class? Right. Because, you know, the sororities take your time. You got the Mm -hmm. date parties. You got shit you got to volunteer for. You got, I don't know. I don't know what else they do. A lot of philanthropy. Yeah, well, I said volunteer for. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> should have fucking church it up a minute. <laughs> I couldn't even say fashion industry. <laughs> I was like, philanthropy. <laughs> Allie was the total package. She even had an Instagram for sunsets. Oh, that's sweet. I thought you were going to say for a dog, and I was like, oh, total package, but. Yeah, but like, yeah. she really does find the beauty in nature. Like, she's the total package. Yeah. So Allie's freshman year, like circa 2016, she meets a guy by the name of Brandon Thiesfield. So Brandon was from Fort Worth, Texas. So while he wasn't a Mississippi boy, he was from the South. He was also a student at Ole Miss. But they kind of had an on-again, off-again relationship. Like they were never officially boyfriend and girlfriend. Like he didn't take her out on dates, allegedly, It kind of seemed like Allie was more into Brandon than Brandon was into her. Like, you get, y'all, if this is not a case that reminds you to be careful what you say in text messages because shit will get read one day. Um, Based on their text chains, she would send him these long messages. And sometimes he would respond with like a K or whatever. But then sometimes he wouldn't respond at all. And then sometimes they would be supposed to meet up and then he wouldn't show up and So it seemed like she was in it to win it and he wasn't so much. Well, sometimes people won't respond to text messages, but they'll call you. Yeah, this wasn't that. Oh, okay. There were times that he was supposed to be places that he wouldn't show up. One time her good friends from high school were coming to visit her and he was supposed to come hang out with them so they could meet and he just didn't show up. 
Wow. Yeah. He, he gives me the feeling like just the ultimate fuck boy. Yeah. By the way, she was into him. Now, allegedly, their sophomore year, Brandon actually blocked Allie. What the hell? Because she was too much for him. Like, she was texting all hours of the night. Again, these long paragraphs, and he's not into her. And he was like, yeah, I'm done. But their junior year, they started hooking up again. So the summer of 2019, it's kind of that in between where she's like a junior, but she's going into her senior year. So she doesn't have much longer before she graduates. And she has a couple of extra classes that she needs to take. So instead of going home for the summer, she stays back in Oxford, Mississippi, so that she could take a class or two. On July 19th of 2019, to be specific, Allie had talked to her mom on the phone that afternoon because she had had an exam that morning. Like It was rounding out the summer semester, and she had just gotten up from a nap because don't we know exam week is exhausting. Her mom was like, what you got planned tonight? She's like, I'm going to go meet up with some friends at the bars because there's this place called the Oxford Square where a bunch of people who go to Ole Miss go out to the bars and such. So... Allie did just that. That night, she got dressed, went to the bar with her friends. She left the bar and took an Uber home. And that was the last time anyone saw Allie alive. The very next morning in an area called Sardis Lake, now this is like 30 minutes from Ole Miss campus, the sheriffs were doing just kind of their regular canvas of the area. So around this lake was a bunch of like fish camps, you know, just places that people, you know, have camps so they can go on the weekends and whatever. So they're just patrolling when the officer sees something and he realizes that he found a body. When he gets up to the body, he realizes that the victim had been shot. So they call EMS to come, you know, get the body, all the things. And when EMS is pulling up, they see a purse like down from the body. So they tell police and police open the purse and they find an Ole Miss student ID and driver's license. And they find out that the body is Allie's. She was shot? Allie had been shot nine times. Holy hell. There were 11 shell casings found at the scene. So the police go back to Allie's house and they find her Apple Watch. They can't find her phone. Her phone is gone, but they find her Apple Watch. And I guess because her watch was connected to Wi-Fi, it actually kept up with her text messages. So while this is kind of all going on, the police are notifying friends and family and are like, who would do this to Allie? And everybody keeps saying, Brandon. But it's weird because, like, while they had been an on-and-off-again thing for so many years, some of her friends didn't even know his last name. Wow. So on Allie's Apple Watch, they find that she had a text chain with Brandon. Well, lots of text chains with Brandon. But specifically, some talking about the fact that she may or may not be pregnant. They had text messages from Brandon that, said things that that some of y'all may want to skip. But he said, basically, it's so early, you can just take a pill, not keeping it at all. I do not want a kid at all. Then he said, I'm serious. No kid at all. It will ruin my life. I will not help at all. Not to be mean, but this is how I feel, and I'm not changing my mind. 
Brandon came from a pretty wealthy family in Fort Worth. His dad was a physician, and so I guess he just kind of felt like this this isn't what he wanted for himself. And I don't know if maybe he felt like it was going to get him in trouble with his family. I don't know. But he was like, I don't want a kid. Like, get rid of it. So Brandon was pretty clear with Allie that he wanted her to terminate the pregnancy. Now, Allie was kind of, I don't want to say wishy-washy about this, but she didn't really know for a fact that she was pregnant. There were some text chains where she had sent Brandon pictures of pregnancy tests that were like, quote, inconclusive. And I feel like those pregnancy tests are pretty clear nowadays. Like, I never saw a picture of what she sent him, but I'm picturing like maybe it was a faint line, but so many of them say pregnant and not pregnant. They don't even have lines anymore. But all of the tests were pretty inconclusive. And there was some messages where she was like, I don't even really know if I'm pregnant yet, but maybe we'll just wait and see if I get my period, you know? And then there was one text where she basically said, I know I'm pretty and all. So if you don't want to do this, I know I'll find somebody that does. Damn. So she was kind of of the, if I'm too much for you, go find less. Yeah. Yeah. But then on the other side, seemed through the text, almost desperate for him because she would send him pictures of her stomach and timeline of how pregnant she would have been. She would not have been showing, you know, this would, we're talking like eight weeks, you know, where most people aren't showing. But she's also thin, and I'm not. So I definitely wouldn't be showing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I've never been pregnant. So what the fuck do I know? I know. I've never taken a pregnancy test. I have. Oh, shit. And let me just say, that's scary as fuck. Well, I had to take one at the doctor one time, and I was scared because the condom broke. And I was like, oh, my God. Because I have a weird period anyway. But... I was like, oh my God, what if I'm pregnant? Because I was supposed to get my birth control shot. And I'm like, what if I'm pregnant? Oh my God. And I wasn't, thank God. But So you have taken a pregnancy test. But I meant I hadn't taken one like, like at home. Yeah. It was just I peed in a cup, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so I have had that. Now that was nerve wracking for like no reason really. But yeah, I can't imagine being in college and what she was going through. Kind of jumping forward here. So the police did find surveillance video or surveillance footage showing her hugging one of her friends and getting into a van, which they later found out was an Uber. And then her roommates said that she did come home. Damn, did she get an Uber XL? I don't know. That was expensive if she did. But from there, nobody really knew what happened. So the police are going through her messages and There had been messages back and forth before between Allie and Brandon about trying to meet up to discuss things. And he had asked her, like, is anybody going to be at your, like, your house this weekend? The sorority house? I don't think she, I think she had an apartment with her friends. I don't think she lived at the sorority house. Oh, okay. It was an apartment because she had some roommates. Like, but I don't, I never heard for sure. Is it an apartment? Is it a house? But it's not the sorority house. So the police keep getting told Brandon's name. So they're like honing in on him. Like, let's interview him. Let's see what's going on because they've gotten all this information from her family and friends. And he's kind of giving them the runaround, like making up excuses why he couldn't come to the police station, yada, yada, yada. And so finally he was like, okay, I'll be there Monday morning at 830. Well, 830 came and went and he wasn't there. So that gave police the chance to get search warrants 
So they started looking at Brandon's internet search history. And there were searches about different abortion medications and abortion clinics. And they had found searches on how to get away with murder, how to conceal a crime, how to use a gun. What the hell? Like how to plan a crime, how to tie people up, and how to lure them in. What the fuck? So the police are like, okay, he's not here. He's supposed to be. So with being able to get the um, search warrant and all of that, they actually put a a bolo out for his vehicle because they pinged his phone and they found out that he was on the interstate leaving Oxford, heading to Memphis. Mm. So they're like, oh, fuck, he's on the run because they were able to get like an arrest affidavit under exigent circumstances is how they did that. The thing is, is that in his douchebaggery, he had a vanity license plate that said, take it. Like T-A-K-3-I-T. Oh, Lord. So he was pretty fucking easy to find once they had an idea of where he was heading. Like, I'm talking like two hours. They found him. The Memphis police finds him at a gas station and arrests him. He signs a paper agreeing to be extradited back to Mississippi. So basically, this is what police surmise. That on July 20th, 2019, at like 1.30 in the morning, Brandon comes to pick Allie up from her apartment slash house, but I'm 97% sure it's an apartment. So they left and went to this abandoned fishing camp that Brandon had actually been to the year before. So even though this was like 30 miles away and he wasn't from the area, he had actually been there before. Now, next to like the picnic table where they would have been sitting, they found some white claws. So they had been like hanging out and drinking. And honestly, I don't know why he shot her. Or when, like there wasn't a scuffle or anything like that. But we do know that like a week before Allie was killed, Brandon had gone home to Texas and had posted on his Snapchat a picture of a 40 caliber gun and saying that he was bringing this baby back home with him or back with him to Oxford from home. And she was shot with a 40 caliber gun. When Brandon was arrested and taken into custody, they found a 40 caliber gun in his vehicle that was similar to the gun used. And I, I'm pretty sure they eventually used ballistics. But they also found a, a note at his house that some people say it's a confession. Some people say it's a suicide note. But basically in there, he says that he's so sorry for everything and that he's always had terrible thoughts and the thoughts were fueled by cocaine and alcohol. And he says, I think this is the end for me. I'm either going to prison or going to die. Now, Brandon's attorney is the one that really kind of, I feel like, pushed the narrative that... Allie was too much for Brandon and that she was kind of more obsessed and really highlighted like the text change that she was the one that was like talking, 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 and he's not really, and he blocked her. Like that come that about being blocked came from Brandon's attorney. So is it true? I don't know. But Brandon says that that night that it had that he killed Allie, that he had been drinking all day, basically so had Allie. And that while they were out there, like sitting on that picnic bench drinking, he went to the truck and used cocaine. And that from there, basically he snapped. And like, this gives me a little Travis Alexander, Jody Arias feel 
I feel like he like wanted to be with her, but not really. So like, I don't know. It just it's the, the feel it gave me. But the texts are weird. There were texts that Allie had sent him how much she'd had a drink on certain nights. Like this came after she had told him that she thought she was pregnant, where she was saying like, I mean, a shit ton of drinks in one night while she's thinking she's pregnant. And she basically says like, I drank all these drinks. Let's see. We'll just let my body decide what happens. Like if she has a miscarriage or not. And then again, he went to Texas the week before the murder. So like, was this planned? Did he go to Texas to get the gun? And his attorney was like, did exactly what a defense attorney is going to do. And it's like, he was raised Christian and people in Mississippi and Texas have guns, which they do. And, you know, he's like, we have shooting ranges in Oxford and all that. And it's like, yeah, people here have guns and and that's a normal way of life here for hunting and like, I don't know, skeet shooting. I don't know what the fuck people do with them. And you know how defense attorneys just try to paint a picture and explain everything away. So he did that with the gun. And then he was like, look, you can't base anything off of his searches because like a bunch of Ted Bundy stuff had just come out. So, you know, I mean, you know, people look up weird shit when they're watching TV. But the autopsy did show that Allie was not pregnant. Now, I don't know if that means that she was pregnant and had a miscarriage. It didn't say. I feel like they would be able to tell that if she had had some sort of miscarriage within the last, you know, three weeks. But I I don't know. But she wasn't pregnant. Here's the thing, though. We do. I know me and you, we have weird search histories, Mm -hmm. like with the podcast, with everything. And with watching TV, we're like, wait, who is this person? Where did this come from? Is bison or buffalo? Whatever. Right. But we wouldn't search like how to conceal a body. Right. And I think it's weird that he had a search history of how to shoot a gun when, or like how does a gun work or whatever the fuck it was, when he, this is a gun that he owned at home because everything was like, he was a typical Texan. He liked to hunt and fish. He was like an outdoorsman, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, but then he Googled how to use a gun. I feel like to make sure that it wouldn't be traced back or something, like how to use a gun, like, and take the shells up or right, you know, things right. like that. Well, then don't just fucking leave 11 shell casings around, moron. But anyway, <clears throat> the grand jury indicted him on capital murder. But in Mississippi, well, he pled not guilty. But in Mississippi, capital murder, you have to prove that a murder happened while committing another felony. So they were like, okay, cool. Our other felony is that he kidnapped her. But like that was going to be really hard to prove because they had a text chain of them like setting up a meetup and kind of her going willingly. But like, yeah, she went willingly, but she didn't sign up to be taken out to this like random place and all these things happen, you know. So I think that they got kind of nervous. They weren't going to be able to prove the capital murder. And his trial had got delayed by the pandemic. And on August 27th of 2021, Brandon took a plea deal and he pled guilty to first degree murder. So he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So it's like there's so much to this. And, you know, his parents didn't participate in the 48 hours, but His mom basically said, like, at first, I couldn't believe that this happened. Like, I was like, there's no way that he had anything to do with this. And she was like, and then, like, the more stuff came out. She was like, oh, wait, he really may have. But she talked about how important it is to tell your kids that 
literally there's nothing too big, too complicated, too out of control that they cannot tell you about. Um, and then she says, like, we'll always pray for the friends and family of Allie. And that's something that I really, I, if, if you don't hear anything else, hear that, because I've really tried to instill that with my nieces and nephews, well, niece and nephews. And like, sometimes they have come to me with things that they are not sure how to tell their parents or whatever. And it's like, there's nothing too big that we can't figure out together. Will you have to face consequences? Yes, but we can figure this out, you know? Yeah, that's super important to have someone that you can confide in. But I do feel like he thought that she was pregnant. People are on both sides of the fence. Like Team Allie is like, she was absolutely pregnant and wanted this baby. And then Team Brandon, aka his defense attorney, is like, uh, she was just trying to get him. You know, she was just trying to keep him and make this relationship more than it was because she was into him more than he was into her. I do think Brandon maybe felt trapped and felt like this was his only way out because he felt like he had expectations that he had to live up to. And I mean, either way, no matter what, you don't fucking kill somebody. Right. So it doesn't matter if she was pregnant or wasn't or if she thought it and he didn't or vice versa. It doesn't fucking matter. You don't kill somebody. And potentially two people. Right. If she was pregnant. That's so sad. She didn't even get to graduate and stuff. I know. And of course, my dumbass, I was like, so what happens to her student loans? Oh, my gosh. Like, for real, though. Well, did you look it up? No, I didn't fucking look oh it up. Oh, my God. Her poor parents, too. Like, this was this was on lots of stuff. Like, there was, like, a People article about it. And, of, like I said, it was on 48 Hours and all of that. But her poor parents said, like, it feels like she's just still away at college. Yeah. Like, they've dealt with it. But at times, it's like, you almost forget. Like, it's... Like, it's not real because she had was away. Yeah. I can only imagine that because sometimes I'll see something. I'm like, I've got to call Lori, my sister. And I'm like, wait, she's been dead for a while. Yeah. But it's just something that reminds you of it. And you're like, oh, my God, she would get a kick out of this. And then you're like, oh, shit. So I can only imagine them not being there with her. And it is like she's just not there. Well, that, I mean, my mom has said that about my dad because my dad worked out of town for so many years that she said that. Like, she's like, sometimes it feels like he's just still away at work. Yeah, gosh. I I feel like, though, I just want to say that I feel like talking about their text chains, sometimes the way his attorneys, it it felt very victim blamey. And I don't want to just say his attorneys because even sometimes when I was going through this in my head, I was like, oh, God, that just feels ick. Like, it feels like, who, even if she was lying about the pregnancy, even if she was lying about everything, she doesn't deserve to die. Right. And there's like, I don't know. I just don't want it to come across victim blamey because it's by no means meant that way. Yeah. Because again, if she texts him every fucking night, all goddamn night, block her and move on, file charges on her, whatever. If it's, if it's that bad, don't kill her. Right. Don't trick her into going with you to this fucking fishing camp because you've ignored her all this time and not gone over to talk with her about this pregnancy. And then finally, the night that you kill her is like, hey, actually, I'm free tonight to talk. On a night where you've been drinking, so you're going to have this life-altering conversation. After she gets home from the bar and you've been drinking and doing cocaine all day, that seems fucking reasonable. Right. Gosh. Just such a... Like a tragic loss and... Senseless. Yeah, that's what I meant. 
I mean, it is tragic, but I meant senseless. Okay, so this city has been on my mind, and I decided to do some research and found a really famous haunted house there. The city, Savannah, Georgia. Wait, we were just talking about Savannah, remember? Uh Uh-huh, that's why it's been on my mind. The house, Sorrel Weed House. And I'm going to mispronounce that. I'm going to say read. I just know I am because that's what my mouth wants to do with the R's mm-hmm. in the first one. It's it's going to be a problem. Sorrel Weed? Yes. It's located at 6 West Harris Street, and it's a historic landmark and one of the most haunted homes in America. Now, Savannah is the oldest city in Georgia, so you know there's a lot of paranormal hotspots there, but this one reigns supreme. Also, something else about Savannah, and I mean so many places in America, but it was built on Native American burial grounds. Also, the Sorrel Weed House, um, it's one of the largest homes in Savannah because it's a meager 16,000 square feet home. 16,000? Yeah. And I never know if it's square feet or square foot. Look, we're Southern. We say square foot. Okay. I said that like in my head and I was like, no, square feet is feet. (laughs) I mean, it is, but that's not what we say. Okay. But before we get into that ginormous house, let's talk about the person who built the house or, well, paid for it to be built. His name is Francis Sorrell. He was born in 1793 in Haiti to a French officer in the military, and his dad was also a sugar plantation owner, and his mother was referred to as mulatto, which basically meant she was mixed race. So she was a free woman of color who had a white father. That is a very problematic sentence. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So when Francis was six months old, his mother died and his father left Haiti. So Francis was raised by his mother's family. Now, Francis hid his mother's race and he was light-skinned, so he passed as white and that's how he was able to become successful. That's so fucked up. It is. And like that should never have to be the case. But he worked as a merchant, and after working his way up, he and a partner opened up a firm in Savannah, and he became one of the wealthiest shipping merchants in Savannah. Every time you say that, I think you're going to say sugar daddy. (laughs) Well, his dad was a sugar plantation. That's what I'm saying. You said that, and then shipping, and I'm just like, whew, that's a lot of sugar daddies. (laughs) Now, they were merchants of all kinds of good, you know, sugar cane, all the things. All kinds of good? Goods. Sorry, with the plural. With the plural. Oh, my God. Take me back to Austin. So, because it is back in the day, that also meant that they were part of the slave trade as well. Now, in 1822, Francis married Lucinda Moxley. She was 17 and the niece of his business partner. And how old was he? He was 29 or 30 at this time. Yeah. So Lucinda came from money. Her father was a plantation owner. And, you know, back then women could not own property. So all of that would go to Francis. 
Well, they had some children, but after their third child, Lucinda was struck with yellow fever, and she passed away in 1827. Now, that was only five years, and so Lucinda's father had not kicked the bucket yet, so Francis didn't have any inheritance from Lucinda. So I wonder if when her dad died, would he get it? I don't know, but it doesn't matter because enter her younger sister, Matilda. That's disgusting. Yeah, she was now 23, but yeah, they. some people said like, oh, they just wanted him to have someone to help with his family and no, but no, come on. Like it, that was a business deal for both of them, but also like more so him. So Frances and Matilda were married in 1829, and they ended up having eight children total between the both of them. Now, the house we're talking about was built as a gift for Matilda in 1841. And, you know, it was definitely a huge house just to show how wealthy the Sorrells were. Because even though he wanted what their father had, he was wealthy on his own. But, you know... You can't, you can't reason with greed. They were known to throw lavish parties and, you know, the who's who of society would be there. Even General Robert E. Lee visited multiple times because he was friends with Francis. So like I mentioned 20 times, the house was huge, but I'm only going to talk about a few features and rooms that are known for paranormal happenings because like I said, it's a haunted house, duh. Now, on the first floor, there were two parlors, one for the women, one for the men. The parlors were separated by a pocket door, so when they would host the parties, they would open the door so it would be one large place, but then when the party was winding down, they would close it so the men could smoke cigars, drink brandy, picture after dinner on the Titanic when they were like, let's go to the brandy room. Another part is the basement, and it was really big. It had at least two kitchens in there and a total of four fireplaces down in the basement. Jeez. And later on, the basement would become a doctor's office for Francis Jr., and he ended up treating a lot of soldiers there during the Civil War. i tell you what, though. That's a basement I could fuck with. All of the fireplaces and two kitchens? hmm Now, on the History Goes Bump podcast, they talked about some doors in the dining room, and they didn't have a handle. Then they explained that since households would have multiple enslaved people working for them, they would have to instill fear so they were not overpowered. And one of the ways to keep the enslaved people in check, I guess you would say, is to really make them fear getting out of line. And so It was forbidden for them to be in a room with no way out. So if they were caught, they would be severely beaten. So what they would have to do is like enter the dining room, move as fast as they could, like diner fucking dash, and, you know, put the plates out, put the food out, but make it to the butler's pantry before the doors were closed or if they were in there trapped, they couldn't do it. So they couldn't have downtime. Like, they couldn't lollygag. They had to rush in, rush out all the time. That's the weirdest rule. Yeah. Like, I get what you're saying. I get the point. Not the point, but I get the point. But, like, 
to instill the fear, but that's a really weird rule. Yeah. Like you think that you would be okay with them being in a place they couldn't get out of because then they wouldn't go anywhere. But I think that's the problem is that they wanted them to work, 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 you know, all the free fucking labor. And also if they had like no handles on certain doors, like if they were in there and got trapped, what were they doing in there? That kind of thing. I don't know. But that like seriously made me just like the biggest ick. Yes. So then there is a carriage house and that's what was used as the slave quarters. It wasn't as big as it needed to be to comfortably house all of the enslaved people, but you know, they were considered just property. Yeah. And so the owners didn't care if they were comfortable. I was going to say, what did the owners care? Right. Now there was a separate room where only one enslaved person stayed and that was Molly. Some say that she was given this room because she was the kid's nanny. And so she was thought to be kind of like a higher class of the, uh, like, what do you call it? Like on the hierarchy, she wasn't just like a day laborer. But others say it was because Francis had a quote unquote relationship with Molly. And by relationship, I mean, he raped her repeatedly and she was forced, you know, to go along with it if she didn't want to die. Right. Because there is no consenting with that power dynamic. None at all. Like, not even being a worker and an employer. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so much layers in that. It's never right. But word on the street, Molly was not the only one who Francis raped. And he ended up having several children with his enslaved women workers. And since I just mentioned Molly, let's talk about some more drama. So Matilda, the second wife, she knew that Francis wasn't a faithful man. And, you know, their marriage wasn't a union between two people in love. So Matilda just kept herself busy. She would spend a lot of time in the women's parlor where she would read and, you know, be a lady of leisure. However, the thing about the parlor is it had big windows that looked out and faced the carriage house. And one day in 1860, Matilda looked out the window and saw something she hoped she would never see. Frances and Molly were having sex. (gasps) Now, I guess Frances didn't care to close the curtains, do whatever, because who's going to say anything to him? Mm Mm-hmm. And this sent Matilda spiraling because it's one thing assuming your husband's cheating and doing all the things, but then catching him in the act, that's a whole different story. Well, the story, the legend, whatever, it says after seeing this and her worst fear becoming true, Matilda ran upstairs to the third or second floor, and jumped to her death, hitting headfirst on the brick patio below. And they don't know if it was the second floor or the third floor, but they know that she jumped off the balcony. But the tragedy isn't over yet, because soon after Matilda's death, Molly was found dead in her carriage room. She had died by suicide by hanging herself. But there is some speculation because It might be suicide, it might be homicide, because yes, she could have felt guilt, or maybe Molly felt like she had no other way out of that terrible, you know, quote-unquote relationship, and this was her only means of escaping. However, it could be homicide because, you know, to cover up the loose ends of the affair, all of that, because also, let's just be honest, Frances could have pushed 
Matilda out that window because she saw what she saw and he didn't want, you know, any of that to cause him any status. Right. Whatever. Loss of status. God, words are hard. But here's the thing. Again, both deaths happened in 1860. However, there's a record that shows Francis sold the house to Henry Weed in 1859. So that would have been before both of them died. So did they really die there? Well, I'm getting to it. Okay. So also the selling of the house to Henry Weed is why it's called the Sorrel Weed House. Mm. Anyway, Francis and his family moved to the house right next door at 12 West Harris Street. And so some say this happened like months after the house was sold. But they're like, well, it happened at the house because they hadn't moved out yet. Like it had just been bought. They were still in like, not cahoots, but like in, you know, you sign this, no, you sign this, blah, 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 blah. However, others say, no, they had moved out of that house. They were in their new house, but maybe the spirits are drawn back to the original house. But it is confirmed that Matilda did, like, die from falling off of the balcony. But because people keep records like I do, you know, we'll never really know the truth. And the one person who could tell us, Francis Sorrell, He died in 1870. He was 77, and he died from a stroke. Now, Henry Weed, he lived at that original house until 1875 when he passed away as well. Now, the house stayed in the Weed family until 1914 when A.J. Cohen Sr. bought it. Now, later, A.J. Jr. built a store onto the front of that house and turned the addition into a clothing store. And now, it lasted a long time. So, from 1914, around that area, to 1991, that store was in business. But five years later, the house was sold again this time to Stephen Bader. And he wanted to restore the house to the original glory, so he demolished that clothing store part. But it seems like Stephen bit off a little bit more than he can chew with the purchase, and he was just kind of trying to do the bare minimum. So he didn't follow all the instructions, and there were some workplace violations. Also, a stack of unpaid bills, which I understand, Stephen. I feel your pain. However... The construction crew that he had hired quit, and he was without money, all of that. So the house was vacant for years. But then the Historic Society purchased it and opened the home to the public in 1940. Look, I understand being broke, but you got to pay your workers and stuff because people don't work for free. Exactly. Or they shouldn't have to. So, like I mentioned before, there's not great records of what truly happened, and there is some debate if Molly ever existed. But there were two slave manifests that showed that there were two enslaved people named Molly who lived on the property. One was 22 and one was 28. Now, we know that's his age range that he likes, too. But they were listed as sold. However, we all know that people can fudge up some reports to cover up, you know, an illicit affair, a crime, all of that. And one said that one Molly was sold to like a neighbor and 
that they could have shared her. Ugh. Yeah. The fact that that can even be a conversation about a fucking human being makes my stomach hurt. Yes. So you might have heard about this house because, like I said, it's one of the most haunted houses in America. However, if you're Tiffany or Carrie, you might recognize the house because it was used in the opening scene of Forrest Gump. It was filmed on the rooftop, and I have no idea, but I think it involves like a feather or something. Yeah. But that wasn't the only film exposure it got. Ghost Hunters, they investigated it in 2005 for their Halloween special, you know, TAPS, the original Ghost Hunters. Then Ghost Adventures came in 2014, and it was also on the Travel Channel's Most Terrifying Places in America. So it's definitely got some notoriety. The land that this mansion was built on also, you know, Everything, like I said, in Savannah is Native American burial ground. But this was also built on the site of where the British barracks were during the American Revolution. In 1779, the siege of Savannah happened, and it was the second bloodiest battle of the American Revolution. Damn. More than 2,000 people were killed in this battle, and the British were the victors of the battle. So the revolutionaries had to dig a trench at Madison Square, which is like the place where this house is, because so many people had died, they needed to bury their dead. Now, it's said that some soldiers were buried alive because they were so badly injured or so sick that they couldn't tell the difference between who was dead, who was alive, and they just got pushed into that mass grave. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yes. So the graves were never moved after the war. But soon Savannah expanded and buildings and homes such as the Sorrel Weed House was built over those graves. So with all of that, you know there's definitely residual energy there as well as the whole Madison Square area. So let's get to the spooky dookie, as Carrie says. There's a feeling of negative energy experienced by a lot of people, and it seems to radiate from the basement. Like many haunted houses I've covered, there's, you know, technical malfunctions, batteries that's drained incredibly fast. There's also a lot of residual energy like phantom footsteps, sounds of doors opening and closing, even gunshots from the battle that took place there. There's also phantom smells, like in the men's parlor. They can get a whiff of cigar smoke and of brandy. Something a lot of people claim to experience is the feeling of being choked, and they feel very nauseous, especially when they're in the basement. There is a person on a tour that went to the house, Jamie Stewart, and they said that they were a skeptic when they arrived at the house. But when they left that basement and went to the courtyard, they almost threw up because they felt so uneasy. People here also witness shadow people. In the basement, again, there's a shadow man who has been seen by a lot of people. He's been on the couch just sitting there, and some people will feel the couch cushion dip down like someone's sitting next to him. And sometimes even hearing the springs pop. So it's like I was sitting down next to them. (laughs) (laughs) The shadow man like has been captured in a photo sitting 
on the direct opposite side. So it's not like, oh, it's just your shadow cast from a light shining or whatever. It's like on the complete opposite side. People have also noticed apparitions who like to appear in mirrors. So in an article in Country Living, a man named David Duran, he wrote about a tour that he went to at the house. And David took a series of photos in the mirror of the dining room. The first one, normal. The second one looks way overexposed. And the third one looks like it has a man who is definitely from back in the day. Like his clothing, his hair from another time period. And to me, I thought, that looks like a painting. But if you look at it in comparison with the other people there, they kind of still, like, they all kind of have that, like, 2D effect. Another group had a picture that had someone who didn't belong. Now, I heard this on Scary Savannah and Beyond on YouTube, and they said it was two sisters, and their father took a picture of them. And when they looked at the picture, there was something between them. And I want you to describe it when you see it, okay? But I couldn't find the image anywhere besides, and that's why we drinks podcast Instagram. And it looks like it's from like an old cell phone. You'll see it. Well, in Francis Sorrell's office on the first floor, the host from Scary Savannah and Beyond both experienced feeling off kilter and like they were swaying, which is our normal because we do sway. But they also felt something touch their face when they were in the hallway. Another thing, there was an EVP that the guide had caught before, and so she was playing it, and it was a baby crying. And one person was like, you let a baby? Kind of like, there's a baby in a bar? Right. And she was like, no, you have to be 18. Like, that's what I'm saying. Did you hear the baby? Because it wasn't there. Yeah. Let's go to the basement. It had a surgery room. Remember? Well, people have felt like their bodies are being operated on. And there's a wheelchair down there that moves on its own. Okay, the wheelchair could be gust of wind. It could be somebody brushing up. It could be an uneven floor. But feeling like you're having surgery, no thank you. Mm-mm. Yeah, because think about like all the soldiers there. They weren't just having a checkup. They were having like limbs amputated yeah. and all of that. So on the History Goes Bump podcast, they said that there was a man, Steve, who lived in the apartment basement for three months. And there is a room that was called the voodoo room, but I really couldn't find any more information on that. But he said he felt super uneasy in it, so he moved upstairs. But he still had experiences. He said that he could hear what was like a party going on downstairs, but he knew no one was there. But even so, Steve would always go to investigate just to make sure. And when he went downstairs, the music, the laughing, the talking, it would all stop and it would be eerily quiet. Now, there is a man who rented out the carriage house as an office, and he said that he always felt uneasy and he felt like he was being watched constantly. One spirit, Francis Sorrell, is thought to frequently move a chair to and from the dining room table. So it's like he's getting in the seat, you know, like taking it out and then scooching it forward. Also, there was a candle that was tossed across the dining room that they attributed to him as well. Also, the spirits of Matilda and Molly have been spotted in the house. There have been several dark shadow figures with like a feminine figure and a feminine 
energy who walk through the halls. Molly normally is seen in her room in the carriage house. And people have felt like they were choking and some specifically by a rope. Like it would be residual of Molly's death. That's awful. The Scary Savannah and Beyond host, they said that they used dousing rods in Molly's room. And when they asked if they were speaking with Molly, they crossed as to answer yes. Then they asked for a sign and they heard rain. But when they looked outside, it was dry and no one else had heard the rain. So like I said, in 2005, Ghost Hunters did their Halloween special and I could not find that episode anywhere. And you know, like when you search for it and it's like, you can buy it on Amazon. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, let me just see. Because it's like from 2005. It's going to be like a dollar. So I was going to do it. No, it didn't take me to any of that. You know, and I'm like, Oh my God, I got so frustrated with that. Well, that's like, I think it was the last episode that we did that the, because it was the very first episode ever of Snapped. Yes. And that like does not exist on the internet. Yes. And I'm just like, oh, I want to see it. It's like, do you know how many people love the show Snapped? Put that shit on the fucking internet. Yes. Well, there is an EVP that was caught, and it's a woman's voice, and she's screaming, and she's saying, get out, get out. And then it says, help me, my God, help me. And I mean, it sounded like an actual person screaming that. You could feel the emotion. Now, on hauntedplaces.org, there was a blog post about the Sorrel Weed House But there were comments on that. And so I wanted to read some. So there's one from 2014, the person's anonymous, but they said that they and their husband visited Savannah for the weekend and they did the walking ghost tour that goes to the Colonial Cemetery and then also through the house. And they said, look, I don't really believe in ghosts, but I grew up in a very superstitious Southern Mississippi, New Orleans family. So they were familiar with the belief of the paranormal. They said the first room, the guide played a video with some footage from the Ghost Hunter TV show, which I'm like, hello, where did you get that from? But as he was telling them about the next room they were going to, there was a large vase on the mantle that began to rock. And there was a young man standing close to it, and he was the one who grabbed it before it fell. So it could be paranormal, or it could be Carrie there, because Carrie is like that guy. She will knock it over, but she can have cat-like reflexes and catch it before it breaks. I mean, I did trip at Pioneer Farms going upstairs. Yes, she did. Now, next, they went into the parlor, and that's where the guide gave the whole spill about Robert E. Lee being a guest there. And so after the room cleared out a little bit, the writer was saying that they were telling their husband that they were directly related to Robert E. Lee through their grandmother. And while they're talking, they picked up an old German pint that was on the table and, you know, just talked about how beautiful it was and that how their grandmother had one just like this. So the husband took a photo of it. And in the photo, there's this white foggy mist standing right in front of them, but they didn't see it in person. Now, being at Pioneer Farms, we did get some like foggy mist too, but people said like that might have just been the flash. So that could have been the flash with them too. 
Now, when they went down to the basement, the writer said that they felt very panicked and heavy. And like they saw the carriage house and people had some experiences there, but they didn't feel any pressure like they did in the basement. And then a year later, Michelle went there and she said that she was a total skeptic, but she does admit that strange things happened to her son and her during their tour. You know, they watched the videos in that room and she started to feel uneasy. She said it was like being on a boat, even though she was seated. And then her son leaned down and was like, someone whispered my name twice. And he has a very uncommon family name. So it's not like someone said, John, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, when they entered the first parlor, the one used by the gentleman, Michelle was immediately overcome by like just chill bumps everywhere. She felt ice cold. And she said there wasn't any like AC or anything going on right there. Now, they were issued EMF detectors, and they went down to the basement. She said that uh, she had some light-ups around there, and she, like, went to another room in the basement, came back, and was like, let me just see, like, if it's some wiring in the ceiling, in the walls, and nothing was setting it off. But when she walked right back over to that spot, it went off again. And so other people saw it. And so they came over and some of theirs went off. So then they went out to the courtyard because apparently that's how the tour goes. You go to the basement, then to the courtyard. And her EMF meter flashed again, standing in the spot where Matilda was supposed to have died. And then all of their EMFs went off at the carriage house when they lifted them towards the rafter where Molly was supposedly hanged. Now, their final experience was just outside the gate as their tour guide was locking up the house. Something jabbed her in her ribs, like right under her arm, and no one was standing there. Her back was up against the wall, and they checked the spot later at the hotel room, and there was a red mark about an inch and a half long. And I thought about that, like the host or the guide like locking up, that was some of the scariest moments of Pioneer Farm. Just like that lady's in there and it's dark and she's by herself, like locking this stuff up. Like, I don't know. I could not have done that. But you know who could? Zach Bagans and his Motley crew, because they have toured this famous house. And I did watch that episode. So when they're doing the walkthrough, the guide for the house, whose name is Donna, she's fabulous. She had to sit down because she was feeling dizzy and she remarked that it was odd because usually the upstairs has like a feminine childlike energy, but this was more masculine and intimidating. I mean, how bad does it have to be that your tour guide has to sit down? Exactly. And she said like this does not normally happen right here, but she did have an experience in one of the rooms of the basement. When she was setting up during the summertime, she said it was still light outside and she had the lights on too. She went into the room to check everything out. But as she was exiting the room, she felt like someone had rushed right up to her before she could get out of the door. And it's like she was held back, like she was barricaded by some unseen force. And she was instantly cold. Finally, that moment passed. She did not go into that room for her tour that night. 
And that room was the one where Francis Jr. had used for the whole surgeries, the amputations, all of that. Now, something about Pioneer Farms, the guide had told us that one of the rooms, like houses that she was going to go into, she was unlocking it before we got there and it would not unlock. Like she tried different ways and it just wasn't unlocking. And she was like, okay, we just won't go in here tonight. It's fine, you know? But then later she was like, this is how you tell like the ghosts are intelligent here because we ended up cutting the, like it was like a three hour tour, like Gilligan's Island. Um, And we cut it down to like a two hour tour, I think. Uh, And she didn't know that we were going to do that, but we did that because it was hot and we were dying. Um, But she was like, that's why they didn't even let me open it because we didn't even get to that house. They knew that we weren't getting there. So why open it? You weren't there when she said that. You were still back at the OK Corral. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Hanging out with my real friends. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I'm surprised I understood what she was saying after I was huffing and a puffing, but what else? Also, Caitlin, you're the MVP because she had a little fan that she gave me. Well, to be fair, she did find it in the Uber. MVP to whoever left it in the Uber, but she charged it. So it was full battery. And you know they were so pissed because that was a nice fucking uh-huh. fan. You know, they were like, damn it, it's so fucking hot. And I left my fan. <laughs> yes, because that's how I was because I left my fucking fan at the hotel. Okay, we're almost finished, but every time like I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Pioneer Farms, you know? I will say it's kind of cool listening to this now and having like not even any experience, but having something to kind of relate it back to now. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, like seeing the EMF work, how mm-hmm. yeah, I just don't know which one that was, but yes. But the I did lights, the like someone was holding it and be like, Meh, like okay, okay. It would be like green. Okay, okay, okay. I did see something like that up. And I did hold the dousing rods. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that at the end. Cause I when I wrote that, the dousing rods, I was like, oh, we gotta talk about Carrie. So we'll talk about that at the end. Cause seriously, we're almost finished with the Sorrel weed house. So Aaron found something odd with his camera. When Donna went into that room, the camera just stopped rolling by itself. And this was the first sign of equipment malfunction because it was rolling and then it just stopped. Do you think that people have equipment malfunctions like us and they're like, fuck it, it was a ghost. And it's right. like, no, 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 it's, it's you. It was like, oh man, the ghost got me again. Hell, we could be saying it's you, but uh, you are a changeling. So it could be actually a ghost. Because I will say one more thing about the Pioneer Farms. There is a picture of all of us. And if you zoom in on Carrie's face, it looks distorted. And again, we'll talk about the dousing rods. And I was like, something was not right with you that night. (laughs) That might have been why she didn't tell me, hey, Donna, we're going to wait here if you don't want to walk some more. Anyway. You weren't even close to me. How would I have told you? Exactly. Okay, so Sasha, a person who used to work at the Sorrel Weed House, she saw that they were filming, so she stopped by. She's me, you know, and she was just like, didn't see you and the camera crew there and your big muscles, Zach. You know what I mean? She just like happened to be walking by, you know? So this was before he was deemed a douchebag? Yes. Okay. So she was like, 
Um, you know, talking about that she, you know, used to work there, doesn't work there now. But that the first time that she went down to the basement area, she felt a lot of pressure in her forehead and she had to get out of that room ASAP. But she said she never really felt anything negative there. It was just a shit ton of energy always in that house. Now, during their investigation, both Zach and Aaron felt sick at their stomach when they were going up the stairs. They said it felt like you were in a fun house or a boat rocking, which is kind of what other people have said. And that was the same location that Donna had felt the same way earlier. Zach was in Molly's room and was asking her questions, and he did ask her, like, did you die by hanging and stuff? And I'm like, I thought you aren't supposed to ask that, but maybe, I don't know. But he was asking questions and there was a woman's voice that said, hello. And Aaron was in the room, but he didn't hear it. However, Zach was using some like recording device. So he had earbuds in, but back at base camp, they heard the response too, because they had a boom mic set up. After that, Aaron went outside to check and make sure no one was in the alley beside them, messing with them, and he couldn't find anyone. Now, upstairs, Zach continued his session with Molly, and he could hear footsteps like someone was walking toward him. Well, then Zach ended up calling Jay, who was at base camp, to join him in the room because he felt weird. He said he felt paralyzed and dazed, and like whatever was walking toward him was now controlling his body. Now, Aaron was drawn to the courtyard where the British soldiers were buried. And now there were bones and bullets and stuff like that found one time when it was excavated. So he went there to the courtyard and then he went back to the home base tent. And when he was walking there, he felt a stabbing pain under his ribs. Now, Jay, who had been at the base camp, he said that he felt something behind him a lot, but it didn't hurt him. It was just there. But Aaron checked and there was a mark right under his ribs, just kind of like that other person who left that comment earlier. They surmised that since it was in the courtyard where all the soldiers were killed, maybe they stabbed Aaron with the bayonet. Later, they were in the main house and they got interaction on the spirit box and it said, hang, rape, get him, I can't. Damn. Then when they were going upstairs, the thermal imaging camera picked up on something that looked like a thick fog or a mist, but they couldn't see it other than on that thermal imaging camera. And then when they were talking about the fog and trying to debunk it or whatever, the camera kept switching off when they would point it back up to the top of the stairs. So again, another technical malfunction. Now, at that same time, both Zach and Aaron smelled sulfur. So Zach was like, yeah, this is negative. I can feel it. I can smell it. Like, it is negative. So, of course, Zach had to provoke the spirit. And he stood on the stairs and was like, push me down the stairs if you don't want me here. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. And as he was saying this, the fog appeared behind him on the thermal cam. But, you know, they really couldn't say anything. He didn't get pushed down the stairs. But, you know, it wouldn't be a Ghost Adventures episode without Zach, one, getting kind of possessed at the beginning and provoking a ghost. 
Meanwhile, everybody that's on the crew is like, I'll fucking push you down the stairs. Right. Well, we can't end on Ghost Adventures, so we're going to wrap it up with the Ghoul Guys, a.k.a. BuzzFeed Unsolved. Now, I watched their episode on YouTube, and, you know, they go through the history like I've already done, but when Shane and Ryan were in the parlor room, they heard a knocking and then what sounded like footsteps, but they couldn't find the source of the sounds. And then in the basement, Ryan saw a figure like a head and shoulders of a person walk by the stairs, but Shane was facing Ryan, so he didn't see it. But the camera did catch something that was moving where Ryan saw the figure. And now Ryan is me. He is the believer. Shane is the skeptic. And so they did an after like Q&A of it, and he was like, I saw this figure and like it was caught on camera and Shane's like, I believe you believe you saw this figure. (laughs) And Ryan's like, it was caught on camera. And like, they go back and forth. And I was like, God bless America. They are us. Toes in the sand or heels in the sand, whatever you want to call it. Like, neither of them were budging. Like, Ryan said, yes, paranormal. Shane said, just your imagination. But I like I saw it on the camera. It did look like someone was walking and they said no one was walking over there. And like Ryan did go and try to check it out because he was freaked out, you know. So I don't know. Like there's still some mystery behind the Sorrel weed house because if Molly and Matilda died in the other house, which was right next door, but like why is it so haunted there? But also, like, I've talked about the soldiers and the Native American burial ground and, you know, who knows what else was there. But do you think it is actually Molly and Matilda and Francis haunting the Sorrel weed house? I mean, why would they still be there, though? I feel like they would want to, like, move on and that they wouldn't still be there. If they, if it's them, it's like... um residual shit yeah i love that you say like i feel like they would want to move on well on tv like the ghost whisperer they can't move on until they do something but sometimes they don't know what it is yeah but like i don't i don't know i don't i don't necessarily agree with like unfinished business i mean what is this casper i don't know i mean how can you give someone unfinished business and then not tell them what that business is Well, they forgot when they got killed or died. But how would they forget? Like, how would they not know? And then, like, what, you're just going to remind them? Like, I just don't. They have to figure it out. And that's why they haunt it for years and years, because they're, like, looking for their vengeance, looking for justice, looking for answers, all the things. I don't buy Whatever. I know that I would have unfinished business because I need closure. You really do. I really do. But also, can we just talk about, again, how... The history and the reality of this location is so much worse than the paranormal. Always. Uh Uh-huh. But okay, the dousing rides, Carrie, tell them about it. (laughs) So Cindy had the dousing rides, and I was like, oh, let me see those. Let me see what, you know, thinking I know what I'm doing and I don't. When she handed them to me, okay, well, I have to preface it with this. 
Colby had literally just tricked the entire group with a picture that I may or may not have spread a rumor that it was somebody peeing and it wasn't. So Colby took a picture of one of the husbands like out in this field, like trying to get a picture of everybody. Yeah. And he like made it, I mean, like it was a little blurry. So like, he was like, oh my God, look what I got. And we're all like, there's nobody there. Like, that's like a freaking person, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So then I may have heard from one of the other spouses there that fake ghost spouse was out there peeing. And so I may or may not have spread that to everybody, (laughs) but they weren't peeing. So sorry. But so Colby had just tricked everybody with this picture and I didn't know that it was fake at this point. So I hold these dousing rods towards that area and like I hold them and they immediately went and crossed. So I was like, what the fuck? But now I'm like, oh, wait, that picture was fake. So why did they just go like whoop, cross? Yeah. But there is a lot of water like next to this place. So, you know, those are technically for water, right? So anyway, could have been something with water. But then it got to where every time I held them, one of them would turn and point directly to me. Like I would give them to somebody, take them back. And one would be like, and I oop towards me. Yeah. Like every single time. Yeah, it was creepy. And like, I would like put them down, shake them out so you could see, like, I'm not moving these. And I would just hold them up and it would be like, and I, yoop, straight towards me. Yeah. And I had a migraine that day. So I was like, I wonder if that like opened me up to something. Although I saw nothing, heard nothing, experienced nothing. Yeah. But like, I wonder if that, I don't know. Yeah. Migraines were brutal up in Austin, y'all. Oh. Also, though, you did go into that kitchen or the smokehouse or whatever. Yeah. So behind us in the Bell House, I think. Yeah. She left one of those. EMF. Okay. She left one of those going. The lady that was, I think Kathy was her name, that was our tour guide. She was great. Monica. Monica. Wow. I'm terrible at names. (laughs) She was wonderful. But. She left one of those going so we could like, you know, experience because there was supposed to be like a bunch of kids in that that little house. So she left that going and then the smokehouse was like right outside of that house. So Colby and I go to that house and we make a video and I say like, is anybody in here? And literally, as soon as I said, is anybody in here? The thing behind us was like, boop. I was like, what the fuck? Yes. But it was in a different room, like a di- even a different house. So, I mean, they're very close to each other, but like, I'm like, probably not really that. I don't know. But then also those houses were very hot to go in. And then we had a really big turnout. So I'm really, really thankful that people showed up, but also people like you were touching each other in the heat and I was dying. We did go back into the house where the EMF reader was. and We went in this room because Kobe was like, ask it a question. And I said, you know, is anybody in here? We wait. And Colby goes, how'd you die? And I go, you're not supposed to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh. (laughs) But I thought y'all had an experience in that kitchen area that I didn't go into because I was like too hot. But where she was like. Yes. So she asked, "What is that still an EMF? Yes. Okay. Apparently it's this ghost that she's experienced before that she hasn't named yet. And she was like, we need to figure out your name. And like, are you here? And it was like, and then she asked it something else. And then she asked, I think it was like, are there multiple of y'all here? And it was nothing. And then she was like, are you alone? And it was like, and then she was like, are you 
like like because she would talk to them like that you know like they're standing right next to her she's like okay yeah. we gotta figure out your name she was like are you male and it was like burp and she's like are you female and it was quiet yeah and then it was too hot and i got out <laughs> and then she tripped up the stairs <laughs> yes i did i actually tripped multiple times on that thing <laughs> and me carrie and it was, somebody thought donna tripped and everybody was like no it was carrie yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so it, we really did have a good time. It really was cool to kind of put the stuff together. Because again, some of the stuff you're talking about now, I'm like, okay, so when we did this, you know. Yeah. Definitely, definitely want to do it again. Me too. In the AC. But that doesn't exist. I know. But in the cold. Yeah. How do we get like the BuzzFeed guys? I want to do that. I know. You really would be Shane and like just sitting there and being like, cool. And I would be Ryan in the dark when they have to sit alone and yeah. just like talk. I would shit myself. Well, I would be like, I have to be. I really was panicking because I thought I was going to have nervous bladder while we were at the place because I don't think there was a place to pee. I, I don't fucking know. All I know is that she handed us cold towels at the end. And at first I was like, no, but Colby gave me one. And I was like, yes. I'll tell you what. Colby was the fucking MVP of this weekend. He was. He took care of all three of us like we were princesses. Me, Donna, and Tiffany. Yes. Got us things. Like, schlepped us places in the car. MVP. Yes. Well, thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And for those who came out to see us, it was amazing. Yes, we really do appreciate everyone's effort to be part of the meetups and the the live and all the things that happened this past weekend in Austin. Thank y'all so much for showing us the support in ways that you can, being interactive on the Facebook groups or on Instagram, any of the social media reviewing us, supporting us on Patreon. Our sponsors too. Yes, it means the world to us. So thank y'all very, very much. And remember, creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.